So we turn now to Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. This is the word of God. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Well, it has been um, quite some time since I was in Mount Vernon, but unless things have drastically changed, I do not remember fig or olive farming being one of the main industries. It would be uh, easy to read these verses from the closing moments of this prophet Habakkuk and say, what does this have to do with modern people who are much more concerned with salaries and mortgages and retirement accounts than with fig or olive yields? This has everything to do with us. Because the same God who inspired this beautiful little text for his people in Habakkuk's day is the very same God we desperately need in our own day. Habakkuk is a short book in which the Lord's prophet has been struggling and and wrestling to rest in the goodness of God when life makes it very, very hard to do so. He ministered to God's people in a day when the people had largely abandoned their God. They were living godless lives in a time when conquering Babylon was rising, when God was even preparing to use this rising evil nation to bring judgment on his own people. Habakkuk's situation can basically be summarized as things are really, really bad, but don't worry. They're about to get worse. And so if a little book like that ends with a song, which is what I said this text is, we could probably make some assumptions um, before we read it about what sort of a song it would be. A song like that would probably be a country song where the guy singing loses his wife, his job, his truck, and his dog. Or if you can't stand country, it would at least be the blues. But that is not the song that Habakkuk sings. Habakkuk's song in chapter 3, verses 17 and 19, is not everything has broken down and fallen apart, and so I just can't go on. Rather, his song is, even if everything breaks down and it all falls apart, I will still have my God, and that will be enough. Listen to Habakkuk's song, because it holds out a promise for us. The promise of this song, if we get it, is that even if our worst fears in life come devastatingly true, and I do not say this lightly, brothers and sisters, 
For some of you, you may feel like they already have. But the message of God's word for us from this text is that even if our worst fears in life come devastatingly true, by grace, Jesus is enough. Well, let's divide the song into two parts. Part one is verses 17 and 18, and we'll call that joy that doesn't crash. And part two is verse 19, we will call that faith that doesn't fall. So we look first at verses 17 to 18 under this heading of joy that doesn't crash. And let me read them again for us. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Figs and olives, flocks and herds, again, these may not immediately resonate uh, deeply with 21st century uh, engineers or hospital system workers or teachers or stay-at-home moms or contractors or students or wherever else you may work or whatever else you may do. But to the ancient farmer in this sort of subsistence culture who poured his life into the labor of the field, who relied on the results of that labor for his and his family's very sustenance, the picture Habakkuk paints here is devastating. And it's not really that hard for us to relate. These things mentioned in verse 17, the figs, the fruit, the olive, the fields, the flock, the herd. Think of all the work, the sweat, the cultivation, the time that goes into it. Think of the commitment. Think of all of that wrapped up in this just to have it all vanish, to wake up one day and see it all gone. Think of all the hopes wrapped up in this work. This work that had to bear fruit in order to provide food for the farmer and for his family. It is not really that hard for us to relate. A 21st century version might say, Though the stock market completely crash and my retirement account vanish overnight. Though the banks close down and every cent I've ever saved be lost forever. Though my house burned down with all my possessions and no insurance to buy it back. Though I be fired from my job and have no idea what I'm going to do. Though a pandemic upend the global economy and cause a public health crisis. Could I still say, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. If everything else crashed, but Jesus didn't, would that be enough? And think beyond money or material things. Think of all the things that we've longed for, that we pour ourselves into, like gardeners cultivating a field in the future hope of a harvest. Parents, it's, it's the longing for your children 
for the decisions that they make as they grow up and leave your home, for the decisions that they don't make, for the life that they lead, even the state of their souls. Is this not something that we long for? We might not be farmers relying on the literal fruit of our labors to provide us food, but we can certainly relate to this sense of longing, that hope of our labors coming to fruition. Younger people, maybe it's a school you want to get into or a future career. Maybe it's a certain image you'd like to have, how you would like to be seen or thought of. Maybe it's getting married and having a family. Maybe it's the type of marriage you would like to be in. These are not hypotheticals. This is real life. I'm not making this list to fill time. These are real, tangible, serious longings, and we all have them. And I am not necessarily speaking against those longings. Because I don't want anyone to misunderstand what God's word challenges us with in this text. It's not about scolding anyone who has longings on their heart. As long as those longings are not for sinful things and are not really just a cover for covetousness. If you are seeking something that is good and pure and right, there's no reason to keep to, to, to stop seeking or to not pray for those things. But the question remains hanging up there for us in the text, demanding to be answered. We can't avoid it. The, test, the text asks by way of implication, though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit be on the vine, though everything that you think should happen doesn't. Though even all your labors in the field fail to get the result intended, what in that moment will you do? And so it asks for us, though the longings of your heart that I've just been trying to stir up in you, maybe it was something I said, maybe it's something you're thinking of now. If, if that deepest longing for life doesn't happen or if your greatest fear does happen, What will you do? Habakkuk's song is that even if none of it happens, even if it all falls down, let it all fall, I will still rejoice. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Is God teaching you to say the same? Is he preparing your heart for that moment. It may never come, but if it did, would Jesus be enough? Would you still be able to take joy in the God of your salvation? The first response might be, how could I? How could I have joy when I don't see the one thing I've longed for above all else, especially if what I long for seems to be so in keeping with something that I really think God ought to want to do? How could I have joy then? What does it even mean to have a joy that doesn't crash? It's nonsense. Unless your joy is safely centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel brings us to God, not with a list of conditions or demands that he must meet in order for us to rejoice, 
The gospel brings us to God in total surrender, and it offers out God himself to us as totally sufficient. Psalm 72, verses 25 to 26 exclaim, Who have I in heaven but you? And there is none on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Did you hear that? My flesh, my heart may fail. It's not of me. It's not from me. It's not about me, this uncrashing joy. No, no, my flesh and my heart may and often do fail. But God is the strength of my heart. God is. He himself personally. The joy that doesn't crash comes not primarily because of the things that God has given to us, but because God has given himself to us and is with us and for us. Not because I've been given the portion of my longings, but because God himself is my portion. That is what makes the psalmist look up and say, whom have I in heaven but you? Heaven is not first and foremost about rewards for the truly joyful Christian. It is about being with God. That is our reward. That is the first and chief reward of heaven, that he himself, God, is our portion forever. And by grace through Christ, we even have it now. And so that's what makes the psalmist look around and say, there is none on earth that I desire besides you. He is not saying that everything down here is is worthless in itself. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying nothing compares. Nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing God in Christ. There are things on earth to be hoped for, things to be prayed for, things that you will feel called to even pour your very life into and to bleed for and to weep for and to break for. But ultimately, for the one who has understood the gospel, who has been made spiritually alive in Christ, ultimately, there is, comparatively speaking, nothing on earth we could desire besides God, the God who staggeringly has become our portion forever. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart, I myself may even fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Back to Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 18. Though it all may fail, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That's the reason that ordinary, weak, frail people can have a joy that doesn't crash. It's because of the gospel and the salvation that it brings in Christ. The gospel is not just the first step of our faith. Salvation is not just something to be added into your busy life 
and busy schedule. This is everything. Salvation is a total revolution of your reality. It is a complete change. It is a new birth, never undone. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is what the gospel does. We just went through the Advent season where we celebrated and remembered the incarnation of the Son of God and the infant Jesus Christ. But, but why? Why the incarnation? Why did God the Son become man and walk this earth? He did it to secure a new righteousness for ruined sinners like us. Why the cross? Why did Jesus have to die? He did it to pay for the sins and satisfy the guilt debt of ruined sinners like us. Why the resurrection? Why did Jesus walk out of the grave alive three days after his death? He did it because death has been conquered and life has been secured for the salvation of ruined sinners like us. When we get it, when we understood, when when God makes Christ irresistibly glorious to us, then we begin to see how a Christian can say, though the longings of my heart never be given, though I endure wrenching disappointment, Though all the power of earth and hell be thrown against me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Because if I have him and he has me, what can touch me? That's the heart of joy that doesn't crash. Now, before leaving this point, this first point from verses 17 and 18, I want to be very clear in what I am not saying, nor does scripture ever affirm. And that is that, you know, if you have faith in Christ, your joy will never dip. Your hopes will never fade or grow dim. That is not what I'm saying. That is not reality. That is not biblical. God is not insensitive to the struggles and sorrows of his children. Let me say that again. Our God is not insensitive to the struggles and sorrows of his children. He is not uncaring about how hard this life can be. Christianity is not a make-believe game where nothing ever gets you down because you're just so saved from it all. True Christian joy may be shaken. We may and do go through times of deep struggle. But the beauty of the passage and what we need in those moments, what we need to cling to, if only by our fingertips, is that if our joy is in God, it is in the one thing that can never crash. Our joy may bend, but by grace it will not break, because Jesus is enough. Even when shaken, it can't be quenched outright, and God can kindle it. Again, in Matthew 12, verse 20, Christ reminds us of the gentle, loving mercy of God for us in our weakness. A bruised reed, he will not break. And a smoking flax, he will not quench. Jesus was talking about people. He was talking about us. He was talking about you. 
J.C. Ryle comments on that text. Towards such persons, the Lord Jesus Christ will be very tender and compassionate. Weak as the broken reed is, it shall not be broken. Small as the spark of fire may be within the smoldering flax, it shall not be quenched. Ryle writes, there are some in every congregation who are ready to despair of their salvation because their strength seems so small. They are full of fears and despondency because their knowledge and faith and hope and love appear so dwarfish and diminutive. Let them drink comfort out of this text. Let them know that weak faith gives a man as real and true an interest in Christ as strong faith, though it may not give him the same joy. There is life in an infant as truly as in a grown man. There is fire in a spark as truly as in a burning flame. The least degree of grace is an everlasting possession. It comes down from heaven. It is precious in our Lord's eyes. It shall never be overthrown. Ryle says when we are weak, it is true our joy may not be the same. It may be a spark joy instead of a flame joy. But it does not say that the joy is gone, and Ryle is right. If your joy seems only a spark, remember your salvation. Remember your God. He is the kindling God. He is the with you God. He is the God that finds the spark joy, the spark faith of his people when all the world aligns against them to snuff it out, but it endures even by those fingertips. He is the God who finds that faith precious and loves his sons and daughters in the midst of it all. Well, that's the first division of our text, verses 17 to 18, joy that doesn't crash. See now with me in verse 19, a faith that doesn't fall. Now read verse 19 for us again. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. At the beginning of this really too far often overlooked little Old Testament book, uh, the way it begins is that Habakkuk has questions. He has deep questions. He's a man in distress. At the beginning of this book, in chapter 1, verse 2, he asks, Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are ever before me. Strife and contention arise. This is a man wrestling through some very deep issues and going through some very difficult times. His name, Habakkuk, actually even means one who wrestles. He is wrestling in this book with hard things, with things that God is doing, with things that God is not doing, and the reasons for it all surpass him. He's saying something out loud that maybe we all wonder sometimes inside, if we're really being honest, what's going on, God? What's the plan? I know you have one. I believe that. I confess your sovereignty over all things and your goodness. But Lord, my life in this world sure doesn't look it right now. 
In this book, Habakkuk seeks answers from God, and God gives them. And God affirms that, yes, there is much that we don't understand, much that we won't understand. There is much that we won't be prepared for. And so we have a choice. We can trust ourselves and lean on our own limitations, or we can lean not on our own understanding. We can trust the limitless God who sees and knows and can do it all. And so Habakkuk 2.4 calls us away from being that sort of person and says to us, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. And now in our text, at the end of the book, in the singing of this song, Habakkuk is living by that faith. This man who was in distress has hope. This man who was weak and doubting is in himself still weak. He does not get to the end of the book and say, I have discovered the secret of my inner strength. I have stirred myself up. No, he confesses instead, the Lord God is my strength. My strength is in another. God's people always need to learn this lesson. The Apostle Paul learned this lesson when he was speaking of his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. He said the one thing he discovered of life, of faith in Christ, was when he was weak, then he was strong. When he was weak in himself, then he saw that the real strength that carried him and sustained him was all of God. I wonder how many of us today, can co-sign that statement with Paul. When I have been my weakest, I have then seen most clearly that the Lord God is my strength. Then I have most dearly clung to Christ. Then I have most fully relied on the Spirit at work within me. Then I have known that His grace is sufficient for me because His power is perfect in my weakness. Jesus's church is not a place where strength or victory or even blessing is defined by earthly success or freedom from trouble. A faith that doesn't fall is not a faith that avoids all trouble or trial or even that never feels like a failure. A faith that doesn't fall is one that clings to Jesus Christ and replies on the gospel even when those worst of moments come. In that light, we can say to any who have struggled, who have been burned, who have been made weak, if in those things you have seen that the Lord God is your strength, you have the victory. Your faith has not fallen. By grace, the Lord holds you up. You are in Christ still more than a conqueror. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ, which is for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Two pictures here in this text for us uh, conclude this faith that doesn't fall. 
The first is this, in the middle of verse 19, it says that he makes my feet like the deer's. The deer of ancient Israel would run over the rocky outcroppings of the surrounding hills without falling in a way that captured the poetic mind of the prophets. The feet of the deer are sure. They find firm footing where others would slip or fall. Christian, when the floods of life are rising around you, you might feel at time that you are wearing shoes made of cast solid steel that your feet are sluggish to react and slow to respond. But remember, but Christian, remember in Christ who you are. Remember whose you are. You are God's child. You are more than a conqueror through your Savior, Jesus Christ. He makes your feet like the deer's. The second picture of verse 19 is that God makes us to tread on high places. Because what is the position of the person In the high place. The high place is the place of safety and security. It's the place where you have a view of what's coming at you and you can be prepared. It's the place where you can see what you need to see. God takes us there through his word. He shows us the world as it really is. He gives us that higher perspective. He shows us ourselves as we really are. He shows us Jesus Christ as he really is. He shows us our sin. He shows us his grace. He takes us to the gospel where we see Jesus as all sufficient to save and all satisfying to our broken, longing, sinful hearts. These are the high places our Lord takes us to. And so what could ultimately cause joy to crash or faith to fall? We, by faith, are in union with Jesus Christ. And so for that to happen, these things, these things that come into our life, the waves of trial and tribulation, the sorrows, ultimately to cause us to fail completely and fall. They need to trip up and cast down the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is our strength. And that is something they will never, ever have the power to do. Joy that doesn't crash and faith that doesn't fall is not because of who you are or what you have done. It is only and always because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. And so through Christ, through the strength of God, through the power of God, who is the sovereign mover in verse 19, he's the one who makes us like this. Through Christ and pleading him alone, we say, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Jesus is enough. That's not minimizing him as though he meets some minimum threshold. Oh, you know, he's enough. No, that is maximizing him as the one sufficient hope that can always hold us fast. Jesus is 
enough. So may the word of God work powerfully in our hearts through the spirit to comfort, encourage, refresh, and renew us as we seek to walk faithfully as the people of Christ. Let's pray.